0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. I want to talk to you for just a few moments tonight from Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50 and verse, I'll just read a couple of verses. Let's go to verse 19. Then his brother's. Let's go to, let's go to, well, let's go back to 19. And Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You meant it for my evil, that famous, famous verse. But have you ever really looked into what that is in reference to? You meant it for my evil, but God meant it for my good. Jacob was an old man and he had died. Or he was on his deathbed and he had gathered his family around and he died. And Joseph was not there at that very moment. And so the brothers came up with an idea. They said, as soon as daddy is dead, he's going to get us back for throwing him in that pit and making him go to prison for, some say, 13 years, some say 17. There's a dispute, but it's a long time either way. And so the brothers said, The only reason he's treating us nice is because daddy's alive. And when daddy dies, this is in this chapter. I I didn't have time to read it. But he said, when daddy dies, they were talking to one another. He's going to kill us. So let's make up a story. And let's tell him that dad's last request on his deathbed was that you would not hurt us. Now, their daddy didn't say nothing about that. And, and so they come to him, and just the, the verses before we get to this, and they said, Daddy had one last request. I'm paraphrasing. He said, Daddy had one last request. He said to make sure that, that we told you what he said as he was dying. He said, Tell Joseph not to hurt my boys. And he knew they were lying. And he said, You don't have to be afraid. Brothers, you don't have to be afraid. You don't understand. What you did to me, what you put me through, I would have never chosen. I would have never went that route on my own. I would have never gone through that. There is nothing in this world that would have made me go that route. But I look back now and I understand that what you meant for my evil God meant for my good, so relax. I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm actually grateful that you put me through what I was put through, or I wouldn't be where I am. That many souls or many people would be saved because they were in a famine and they would, millions would have died hungering to death, but because they put him through what they put him through, and God used it. For the good, he's now sitting at the right hand of Pharaoh, the second most powerful man in the most powerful nation in the world, and he would not have got there had he not gone through this set of circumstances that looked disastrous for many years of his life. For many years of his life. I mentioned in the book Acres of Diamonds a story that a columnist by the name of Abby, dear Abby, very famous back in the 70s and 80s, she's dead now, but she used to write columns in syndication and they would be put in all the major newspapers and she wrote a true story about a man and his son and what happened was the man's wife died early and of course that was the son's mother, he was an only child. And the man had to raise the son by himself. He did the best that he could, but he was a very successful businessman, and his business began to grow bigger and bigger and more and more. And he did the best that he could with the son, but he, he did not spend a lot of time with him, and the business was growing, and he was distracted. And to make a long story short, the son graduated from high school with honors. He was a good kid. Went off to college and stayed in college for four years, graduated with honors. The relationship was up and down. It was, the boy carried a lot of resentment because he always kind of felt second place in the relationship to his father and something was missing because of the lack of a mother. So there was a strenuous relationship between the father and the son, but they hung in there, and finally the day came when the son was to graduate from college. It was a big day, and he had great academic, uh, great ac- academic record, and 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 had done so well with his grades. And he tried to always show respect to his father. And he had been working that last year to spend more time. He was coming home more on the weekends just to be with his dad. And. He kept dropping the hint the senior year that he wanted a graduation present. His father was super wealthy. He could afford anything that you can imagine. This is a true story. And he said, uh, he said, dad, all I want, I've never asked you for anything. Uh, I I, I don't care much about stuff, but there is one thing that I've found that I'd love to have for graduation. You asked me, what do I want for graduation? And I found what I wanted, and he took him to a car dealership, and there was an old sports car that he really liked, and it was expensive, but it was nothing to that dad to buy that gift for his only son, and and he certainly could afford it, and he told him that's the one they drove, and he thought for sure that he would get that car for him for graduation, and the day comes for graduation out of college, and he goes they go to the graduation and that day they come back to his vast estate to the father's beautiful mansion and beautiful spacious home and he says son come into my study i want to give you your graduation present he walked into this big office study that he had in his in his home and said that he sat down across the desk from his father and his father had a his father had a package and it was wrapped. And he said, son, I got you something very special for your graduation. I love you, and I wish you the best in the future. And he pushed it across the table. And the son, the son did not react well. He, he it was not what he asked for. I thought I made myself clear. I, he even had his friends to drop hints. And any of his relatives to drop hints. What I want is that sports car. And He opened up the present, the present and to his shock. There was inside a box and he lifted the lid of the box off and there was a Bible. A Bible with his name, the boy's name, engraved in large print on the front. And... He was so disappointed and he did not handle his anger well. Especially knowing that this gift of a Bible came from a dad who was not ever overly religious at all. Barely went to church. It just hit him wrong. And he became enraged and he shoved that present back across that desk. Stood up and said, thanks dad. Thanks a lot. He said, but son, aren't you going to open it? He said, I already have opened it, and I don't need that right now. I've got things I want to do. Son, wait, wait, please. And he goes out, slams the door. He's so hurt, so offended, so mad at his daddy. All of that pent-up anger was just the, just the, the, the outer shell of what was really going on, resentment that his dad had always put other things he felt ahead of him. He left that day. He broke off all communication. He refused all of his father's phone calls. He would have nothing else to do with him. He went off. He used his dad's name to get some connections and started with a small job and had his dad's gifting, I guess, and he built a massive business. He found the girl of his dreams, married her, never invited his dad to the wedding, never reached out, refused all communication for years had a son had a second son and when he had his second son something happened something happened in his heart and he thought of his father and he thought it's time it's time to fix this thing i miss my dad my dad should has never even met his grandchildren and something's not right about this and so he he decided to take a trip with his whole family he loaded them up and he said, we're going, to, we're going home to see my father. And on the drive, as fate would have it, his father had a massive heart attack and died. And he got there and found out that his dad had passed. They had the funeral. And after the funeral, the father left his son everything that he owned. He inherited it all, including that massive home and all of his wealth. And he went to that home after the funeral, broken hearted. He had a hole in his heart the size of a battleship. He walked into that study and it was the last place that he saw his father alive. He remembered the conversation and as he sat there in his dad's seat in front of that office looking at some of the papers that had been left, he noticed up on the shelf that same box that box that had been wrapped and gifted and he walked over to it and took it off the shelf. Of course, it was unwrapped. He took the lid off and when he pulled the Bible out, he noticed that it had a Bible marker on one place and he opened it up and it was Luke chapter 11 and verse 13. If you, and it only had one verse underlined and marked in the whole Bible. If you, being earthly, know how to give your children good gifts, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? And it so moved his heart that his father had marked that Bible in that place that he began to weep. And when he reached down and grabbed the Bible and pulled it to his chest, something fell out of the Bible. And he reached down and it was a key. It was a car key. And sure enough, he went out into the spacious garage of that big home and he saw over in the corner of the garage a car that was under a cover of dust and he lifted the cover up and it was the sports car that he had asked his father for graduation to give him. I don't know that he could ever drive that car and enjoy it again because of the memories and all of the pain that came from that experience. But the thing that I want you to understand that is so powerful is the boy received everything he asked the father to give him. But he didn't like the way that it was wrapped. He didn't like the package that it came in. He, he didn't understand the wrappings that that gift would come. And when you Receive from God many times the gifts that God will give you. The greatest gifts will come in strangely wrapped boxes. That boy got what he wanted, but he didn't like how it was wrapped. He got exactly what he wanted, but he didn't like the package that it came in. He rejected it, not realizing when he shoved it back at the father, that he was rejecting everything that he asked the Father to give him. We only want the good, perfect, finished gifts that God gives us. And most of God's gifts, ladies and gentlemen, you serve a God who gives his children strangely wrapped gifts. You want it? You really want it? It's not going to look like what you think it's going to look like. And you're not going to get there from a straight path to here to there. When I do something in your life, it's going to take you through some things. And it'll be a strangely wrapped gift. But if you'll receive it and hold on to it, I'll bring to pass every word I've spoken over your life. Every word. But it won't look like what you thought it would look like. While I'm giving it to you. And many times we ask God for things and he sends strangely wrapped gifts. That's not what I asked for. That's not what I prayed for. That's not what I expected. How dare you? What kind of father gives a gift like that when I wanted so much more? I was a teenager teenager. And I'll never forget the night that Ronnie Brock, a preacher, preached in Kenley, North Carolina at the Church of God camp meeting. And I was just a teenager, maybe 16 years old, 17, somewhere in there, 16, I think. And as he was preaching, it shook me to my core. As he was preaching, I saw my destiny. As that man paced from one end of that platform to the other and preached like a man from another world, it it messed me up. And I, I I began to weep, and I didn't know why. That was so unlike me, but I was broken because I knew in that moment God was showing me my future. And he said, one day you will be up there doing that. And that night in that tabernacle, he gave an altar call And many hundreds of young people came forward, and I was one of them. And I found, much like these beams, I found a beam on the far side of that tabernacle, and I knelt in the groove of it, and I wept, and I prayed, and I realized that, God, if I ever ever preach, I want to preach like that man preached because he moved me unlike any preacher I'd ever heard. I was, uh, I, was, I was almost a senior and about to start school as soon as that summer would pass. I had my music. I was popular. I ran with the popular crowd, starting to do some of the stuff just to hang out with the right people, having fun, living my life. And as it would have, that year I received from God a strangely wrapped gift. God was about to prepare me to do exactly what I asked him for and what he told me he wanted to do, but I didn't recognize it because it came in a strangely wrapped gift. I began to get bulls all over my body, from the top of my head all down my face. My eyes, my nose would swell. My lips would swell. My fingers, my ears, it was it was all over my neck, all down my chest, all down my back. I looked like a monster. And that may not be a big deal, but when you're 17 years old and you're a senior in high school, suddenly you find out you have no friends, you have nothing, and you feel like a leper, you feel like a freak. I begin to wear big coats, big downs coats, and I would wear them up this high and I would go to school sit in the back of the class as far away from people as I could. And on the days when it was worse than ever, I couldn't even, my eyes would swell sometimes up in this area and all up under my eyes would swell so big. I went to doctor after doctor. They could not find the cure for whatever was going on with the infections in my body. And I would take my shirt off and I would look in the mirror and I would think, what has happened? And I remember thinking, God you, you showed me a glimpse of me preaching, and here just a few months later, look at me. I'm so ashamed I can't even walk into a room. I had to come out of school for most of that year, and I would the days that I was really embarrassed and humiliated, I would not go to school. I would skip school, and I had a key to my dad's church. And I would sneak in the back and I would go up into the sound room. It had a balcony and he had they had the sound booths and there was an area up under it and I would get up under it in that Downs coat and I had a woman in the church by the name of Rachel Joyner. She kept me alive because in that state that I was in, she would come to me at church when I wouldn't talk to anybody. I was the last one in. I would notice lighting. It's just funny the things you remember. But it was so real to me that I... I wanted to know what kind of lighting I was going into because I didn't want people to be. I love darkness. I love dark rooms. I didn't want anybody to see my face and see the humiliation that was all over me. And I remember Rachel Joyner would begin, a woman in our church, she began to target me because God put me on her heart. And she would come with prophecies and she would say, oh, Jensen, she would weep. She would fast for days for me. Nobody, me. A nobody, a 17-year-old kid that didn't have a friend. And she would come to me and she would say, Jensen, God is going to use you. And she would weep and she would cry. And I dedicated my book to her because she saw the diamond in me when nobody saw the diamond in me. And she came and she would write prophecies. I have some of them even to this day. And they were so, oh, I see you, I see. And she said things that seemed so foreign and so ridiculous and such a cruel joke when I would look in the mirror and see what I see. But she was seeing what God saw. And she she started giving me tapes. She started back then, it was cassette tapes. And I had a walkman. And she walk man, if you, for those of you who don't know, that's a, that's a cassette tape, tiny player that you had earphones. So learn something be educated. <laughs> we didn't have all the stuff you've got. And, and, and I would, I would lay up under that soundboard. And sometimes people would walk through and sometimes my dad would walk through and sometimes I'd hear them walking through and they never knew that for six and seven hours, a boy would lay up there with no air condition on in that Downs coat listening to a box, a shoebox of cassette tapes of Ronnie Brock preaching that she had felt led to order and give to me. And I would listen and listen and listen and weep and cry and listen and weep and cry. Strange thing happened that summer. This went on not for a month, not for three months, not for six months, not for nine months. It went on for a year and three months. No cure. No doctor could help me. Living like a freak, thinking that I will never, I remember thinking there, I will never be able to get a girl. I'll never, and so, so when I saw Sharice and she loved me, that was the biggest miracle to me. It went back to the, being up under that sound booth. But. But here's what I remembered the most. Um, I, I remember listening to those tapes and then that summer because I was so isolated. For the first time in my life, even though my dad was a preacher and I'd been around it all my life, I began to consume this word for myself. It was literally my life and I began to eat it and breathe it and live it. And as I did, I wouldn't have never done it had God not sent me a strangely wrapped gift. I would have been out smoking pot and getting high and getting drunk, and sleeping around. But because of the strangely wrapped gift, something happened to me. And I got into this book like never before. And then I started picking up my saxophone. And I had learned the scales and stuff, but I'd never taken it seriously. Didn't care. Just learned in band. But that summer, I started practicing because I didn't have no friends. I didn't have... It's a strangely wrapped gift. I started practicing the saxophone and playing the saxophone the saxophone was what god used to get me on national tv to preach if i hadn't been a sax player jan crouch would have never invited me to tbn she heard i was never invited for the first three years on tbn to preach it was always he's the sax player know where the sax playing came from that summer i learned to play the piano I learned in one summer how to play the piano and I'd sit all night long in the piano on the baby grand piano in the church, a Steinway, the best. I love a Steinway and I would play and as I'd play and I'd sing, it was developing my heart for worship. And to this day, when I get sermons from the Lord, when I feel the Lord stirring me, he takes me back to that sound booth. The times when I thought that my world was over and there was no hope but I look back on it now and I can say like Joseph you meant it for my evil devil you told me to kill myself several times you told me that life was no good for me but what I was receiving from heaven was a strangely wrapped gift that God would use for his glory to make me compassionate to make me a worshipper to show me how to lead people in worship because only the hurting know how to worship. Only the broken know how to worship. Come on. You got to give me some monitor. Only the, only the broken know how to praise God. It was a strangely wrapped gift. Maybe instead of shoving it back in the face of the father with bitterness and anger, you might ought to take the gift. So your father wasn't there or you've been through a divorce or you lost everything or you were abused as a child, but it could be, I'm not saying that God did it, but what the enemy meant for evil, God will rewrap it and turn it into good and say, let me use that in your life. Oh, hallelujah. That's why I can praise him in tribulation. That's why I can praise him in the darkest of nights. That's why I can praise him when I don't have any friends, but I know he's giving me a season of strangely. Strange. Why didn't it happen? Why did this happen? That's not what I prayed for. Let me pop another one. Let me pop another one. Let me swell here. Let me swell there. Let me be scarred. That's not what I prayed for. But I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now if God hadn't messed my life up for a year and three months. Joseph said, you meant it for my evil. But God meant it for my good. Moses means drawn out. Moses was a deliverer. It was part of his destiny. His mother would hold him on her knee and say, boy, one day God's going to use you to deliver Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Oh, you're a deliverer, drawn out one, and you're going to draw the whole nation out of slavery. One day he's out and he's watching an Egyptian beat a Hebrew. and He feels destiny tugging on him. And he takes up for that Hebrew, and they get in a fight, and he kills the Egyptian and buries him in sand, but his toes were left sticking out, apparently. And the man comes the next day and starts a fight with his brother Aaron, and big Moses takes up. He must have been a good fighter because he took up for Aaron, and when he took up for Aaron, the guy said, What are you going to do, kill me like you killed that Egyptian that you buried and tried to hide? And, and Moses knew, Oh, my God, it's out. Pharaoh's going to hear that I killed an Egyptian and I'm going to go, uh, my head will be cut off. So watch, here comes, here comes a strangely wrapped gift. Head to the desert for 40 years. Come on, big shot deliverer, mighty world prophet. God's going to do something great. Oh yeah, you're going to get the Ten Commandments all right. Go to the desert for 40 years and nobody's out there and you're going to learn where every rock is. You're going to learn where every water hole is. You're going to learn how to deal with scorpion stings and rattlesnake bites. You're going to learn how to survive the heat and the cold and you want to know why? Because there's going to come a time when you're going to go right back to Egypt as a matter of fact in 40 years and you'll say come out and when they come out they're going to need to have a leader who's been through something so that he can take them where the water is in the desert. Take them through. He's training you. He's preparing you. It's a strangely wrapped gift. And, and Moses only asked for two things. All I want is to see the promised land and to stand in it. And I want, to show, I want you to show me your glory. God says, done. That's not what I prayed for. I'm dying in Jordan on Mount Nebo. I'm Moses. Because I smote the rock, God won't let me go into the promised land. He, I, feel, I hear so much preaching in my head right now. Moses... Moses did not understand. This is a strangely wrapped gift. Moses didn't understand that he represented the law. And the law can't take you into the promise. So Moses, you've got to die so that Joshua, which is Hebrew for Jesus, Yeshua... So that Joshua can take you where the law can't take you. I'm going to let you die and I'm going to let Joshua take them in because Joshua was a type of Jesus and the law and works cannot make it happen. But by the way, I'm going to get you where I told you. I think your prayer request is you want to go to the promised land and stand in the promised land. Okay, let's make that happen 2,000 years later. Mount of Transfiguration. I hear people preaching all the time. Moses never made it to the promised land lie. Yes, he did. Read your Bible. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration in the Holy Land, Elijah came down from heaven and here comes Moses. And Moses stepped down on that mountain and he said, I think I asked for two requests. And Jesus lit up like a Christmas tree and he saw the glory on the Mount of Transfiguration in the Promised Land. He gave him everything he promised him, but it showed up in a strangely wrapped gift. See, God's working generational. God's going around things and through things and under things and ways. and His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. And he says, you just take this and trust me and don't shove it back at me. I'm going to get you where I promised if you won't quit. I'm almost done. David, I'm pouring the oil on you. You're God's choice to be king. You're going to be the greatest king Israel's ever had. But within days, here comes strangely wrapped gifts. Dad, I was out watching the flocks and got attacked by a bear. Got his hide on my barn. Dad, yes, last week I got attacked by a lion. What's going on? The anointing attacks attract, attracts attack. If you're anointed, don't expect an easy life. Because the anointing, and I'm not talking about when you get there, you get attacked. When you're nobody and nothing, you get attacked. Because the enemy senses and fears the anointing more than it. That's why he wants to stop you now. That's why he wants to discourage you now. That's why he wants you to give up now. Strangely wrapped gifts. A bear, a lion, a big old giant named Goliath a jealous insane father-in-law throwing spears but before it's over he's dancing before the ark of the covenant with all of his might being ushered into the throne because God is faithful God got him there but it came through strangely wrapped gifts preach two more minutes. I'm tired of people preaching a cotton candy gospel. Yeah, destiny is real. Calling is real. Ministry is real. The calling on you is real, but I promise you it's going to come in strangely wrapped gifts. Just before you're ready to give up, you need to remember God's in it. I don't understand it, but God's in it. Job is perfect. Job is righteous and holy. Job is a good man, a godly man. Everything is blessed that he touches. God says, I'm going to take you higher than you've ever been. Congratulations starts getting UPS strangely wrapped gifts all in one day servants his flocks his cattle his wealth wiped out by a fire package number two sons and daughters are in a house having a party having a feast a tornado comes and out of all the homes that it missed It hit his children And the one time that they're together He's a righteous man He's not a terrible sinner He's a righteous man And his family is wiped out Ten children die when the roof caves in Congratulations It's a hideous, hideous gift That God shoved at him Then comes another gift balls all over his body suffering, weeping pottery, scraping trying to get some kind of relief shaved his head, sitting on ashes, sat called weeping, crying well he still got his friends they surrounded him in a semicircle He had three friends, and one of them began to open his mouth. They just sat for seven days and looked at him. At the end of seven days, they spoke up, and one said, you're a liar. Another one said, you have secret sin. You're a hypocrite. You're not living the right life, and God's getting you for what you've done. Well, he still had his wife, and I'm not beating up on her, because if I'd lost ten of my babies, I don't know what condition I'd be in toward God either oh come on we act like she's some kind of horrible person you let a mother lose 10 children and see how she does with a God she doesn't understand And I'm talking to people who've lost children, and I'm talking to people who've been given strangely wrapped gifts, and I'm talking to people who've been diagnosed with cancer, and I'm talking to people who are going through the trial of a lifetime, and I'm talking to people whose career has gone south and you don't understand at this point you thought you would be. But 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 here you are. Here you are. And and Job. Has a decision to make. Are you going to shove it back in the face of the father. And storm out. Say I'm done with you. How could a loving God do this to me. You're God. You could have stopped the car wreck. You could have killed the cancer. You could have done something. That took my family member out. What kind of God are you. I don't want your strangely wrapped gift. But not Job. He said, I don't know a lot of things. I have a lot of questions. Read this book. He asked 181 questions. but he said, I do know this. I know my Redeemer lives. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. I will bless His name forever. God said, Give him double. And Job, there's a, there's a, there's a beautiful verse. In Job 42 and 11. I hope that's right. It's somewhere in there. Read the whole book and you'll be blessed. There it is. 42 and 16. And Job lived 140 years after this. You ever read that? After this. God has an after this. And he lived longer after this than before. And he had four generations of grandchildren. That he bounced on his knee. And God blessed him double. I guess what I'm trying to say to you tonight in closing is. The world is in a mess. America's never been more divided. Now we've got plagues breaking out. But could it be that the condition of the world is a strangely wrapped gift for the body of Christ. That if we would stand up and be the church, if we would stand up and believe God for a revival, like we've been singing about here, that God could take everything that was meant for our evil and turn it into a hunger for God that began to pour out his spirit on all flesh as the prophet Joel said it would happen on our sons and on our daughters. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed.